Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Acts 26, almost to the end of the book. If you're following along in our daily Bible reading, um, we're almost through this book. And the last time I was up here a couple weeks ago, um, we were near the beginning, so come a long way. Um, but last time I was up here, it was graduation Sunday, and the kind of the main point I was hoping to get across to the graduates and to everybody else in here was uh, that we are to be like a sponge in the kingdom of God. And a sponge does two things really well. It soaks up water and it helps to clean dirt. And you and I are supposed to be like sponges in the kingdom of God in that we are to saturate ourselves in the word of God so that when we are lifted out of it, we're just dripping with his grace and his love and his mercy and his justice his righteousness, his holiness. But we can't just stay saturated in the word of God. We have to take it and share it like uh, Peter and John did when they were on their way to church and the crippled was asking for money and they didn't have any money to give him, but they gave him Jesus. And you remember from that story that a whole bunch of people that day came to know Christ because of one action by Peter and John. In fact, Jesus' last command to his people before he left this earth, in Matthew 28, we read that he says, I want you, my disciples, to go out into all this world and to make disciples of other people in all nations. And Peter echoes that in his book, 1 Peter, in Three, uh, chapter 3, verse 15, where he says to the people of God to always be ready to give an answer or give a defense for the hope that is in you. When people come to you and ask, why are you the way you are? Why do you go to church on Sundays? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you act with mercy? Why do you give people grace? Why do you love the unlovable? We are supposed to give an answer for that. Why do we do that? We are supposed to share our faith with others. And oftentimes, if you're like me, that can be very intimidating, very daunting to think that I am supposed to go out and share about Jesus, not because I don't love him or don't know very much about him, but it's hard to share with people, especially people who don't want to hear what you have to say. Uh, another reason people might not share is they think, well, I just don't know enough. I'm not ready to answer every question that someone might throw at me. I don't have a well-reasoned argument for everything. Uh, what I want to focus on today from Acts 26 is the route that Paul takes. And I said earlier that um, when we looked at Acts 9 that there are three times in the book of Acts that the, the conversion story of Paul is shared. And this is near the end of the book, and this is the last time that it's shared in this book. And Paul is on trial Basically, he's talking, uh, he's been imprisoned. Uh, there have been uh, Jews that have followed him everywhere he's gone as he's preaching the gospel, and they have stirred up riots in cities, um, and they have blamed it all on Paul. And all this turmoil that's going on brings the Roman army in, and, and it's just a mess. And so Paul is put under house arrest, and since he's a Roman citizen and a Jew, he is able to um, have his case heard by Caesar. Um, so he has invoked that right. And before he gets to Caesar to uh, defend himself against these uh, false accusations of causing chaos in the Roman Empire. He's got uh, a couple of different people he has to talk to first. And in Acts 26, um, you'll see this name in verse 1. It says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. So Agrippa 
is, uh, is the king or the ruler, the puppet ruler in, uh, in this area. He is, uh, he, he's well-versed in the Jewish culture, but he's set up in power by Rome. And you might not recognize the name Agrippa, but you should recognize the name of Herod. And this is one of the Herods that is really tied up with Christianity. Um, you might remember Herod from the wise men and when they went to go find Jesus and he tried to trick them into coming back and telling him where um, the baby Jesus was so he could kill him. And then you might remember that Jesus stood his own, uh, his own trial before Herod, which was the son of the, the first Herod. And then you had the second Herod with Jesus on trial and now this is the third. This is the great-grandson, um, Herod, or Agrippa, as he's called. So Paul's standing trial before him and he's supposed to give an account for the reasons that all these things are happening around him. Whenever he goes into a city and he tries to preach Jesus Christ and all these riots break out and all these things happen. So, you know, Paul, he's a missionary and he's a pastor. So he's always thinking, how can I spread the gospel? How can I help someone else come to Jesus? Because that's what Jesus said to do, right? In Matthew, when he said, um, I'm, going over, I'm going to heaven now. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to send my spirit to help you, but I want you to go out and I want you to share. And Paul's mission in life is to share the gospel. So if you know anything about Paul, you'll realize right off the bat that he is someone who's brilliant. Um, arguably one of the most intelligent, brilliant men of his day. And, uh, and if you try to read any of his works in the New Testament, you can, just, you can see how brilliant he is in just a few pages. He is, um, he's an outstanding mind. And if you're like me, you're not like that. And you might not be able to create such a well-reasoned argument like Paul. But Paul doesn't take that, uh, take that uh, avenue. He, do- he doesn't take that way this time when he's sharing the gospel. He doesn't launch into some well-reasoned argument for why uh, the gospel is real or why there's a God and why he created and all these things like that. What he does is something every single Christian in this room and every single Christian across the globe can do. And Paul simply shares his personal experience with Jesus Christ. We're going to face criticism, we're going to face opposition, we're going to face many people who don't want to hear about Jesus and will fight with you to the death, um, trying to convince you that Jesus isn't real or make you feel stupid for what you believe. One of the greatest defenses you can have is simply sharing your experience with Christ. Christ is so powerful that when we come in contact with him, he has the power to change our lives, to perform a miracle, to take dead and make it alive. And it's hard to argue against a miracle. So I want to show you uh, the way Paul shares his story. And maybe it'll help you as you think about sharing your story with people, as you think about talking about your faith, as you think about spreading the gospel with the people around you. Maybe you can do some of these things because he makes it really easy for us. And there's three things Paul does that I think are really interesting. So we're going to kind of skip around in Acts 26 a little bit. Um, The first section we're going to look at is um, verses 2 through 5 and then verses 9 through 11. And this is right off the bat, the first thing Paul does when he shares his story, and this is, I think, something we should do too, is he shares what he was like before Jesus. He lets uh, Herod and all the other uh, Romans in the court and all the other leaders there in the courtroom, he lets them know exactly who he was before he came in contact 
with Christ. And starting in verse 2, he says this, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews. See how smart he is? It's hard to say. Especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you, listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. Basically, everybody knows the kind of life I lived. Um, I wasn't someone who nobody knew about. I was kind of, I was kind of a big deal. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Paul comes right out, right out of the gate, and he says, "Listen, I was a Pharisee, which is one of the most strict religious sects of the Jewish faith. Meaning, if anybody knew how to honor God in his life, if anybody knew how to be a good servant of of the Lord, if anyone knew how to really be holy, it was me." And because of that, look at verse 9, and then we're going to skip down to verse 9. Because of that, indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I was so in tune with serving God and honoring him that I knew I had to eradicate the name of Jesus. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I went out and actively sought to kill anyone who claimed the name of Jesus because I was so concerned with honoring the Lord in my life and I wanted to be his best servant. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. I went far and wide. I would not rest until the name of Jesus was erased from this earth. That's how much I loved God. King Agrippa. Why does Paul share that? So just think for a minute what that would have entailed for Paul's life. To think you are so in tune with serving God that you are going to make sure that the name of Jesus is erased from this earth in order to honor him. That is powerful stuff. That was his driving focus. Paul's goal in life was to make sure the name of Jesus was not spoken on any lips. And he thought he was doing that in honor and service to God. He starts there because it is so important to know what Paul was like before Jesus because that tells you exactly what it took for his life to be changed. And it's hard to argue with something that powerful, don't you think? As intellectual as people want to be, it's hard to argue with a changed life with, some, with a spirit being, that was dead being uh, raised to life, that is hard to argue with. So that's the first thing he does. He shares what he was like before meeting Jesus. He was a Pharisee, thought he was serving God, and he was out to persecute all forms of Christianity and erase the name of Jesus. But then he goes into the second thing, and this is kind of a, it could be a first thing too, but the way Paul lays it out, this is kind of the second thing. And this is the second thing we need to think about. And what he does is he shares his story in a way that is helpful for the people who are listening to him. He knows his audience. It's kind of a basic thing in public speaking, right? You, you want to connect with the people you're talking to. So I said before, um, this is the third time Paul's story is told. And the first time is in Acts 9, where Luke uh, is recounting, kind of in his uh, chronology of events, he recounts um, the story as it was happening. And then in Acts 22, uh, Paul shares it himself again, but he shares it with a group of Jewish people. 
And then here in Acts 26, uh, Paul shares a third time, and he's sharing it with predominantly Roman people. And if you compare those three, uh, you'll notice that there are some differences uh, each time it's shared. And we're going to look at one uh, as an example. But the point is that Paul, when he was speaking, uh, he took stock of who he was talking to, and he, he realized that he needed to share in a way that would be helpful to the people listening. So if you share the gospel uh, or your story with a room full of kids, you might say things differently than if you shared it with a room full of adults. Uh, but let me give you an example of, of how he did that. So this is section um, verses 12 through 18. And let me find it here. Okay. okay. Uh, so while thus occupied, he's recounting his journey again, and, and we heard this. As I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying, in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you, per- why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. That phrase is not spoken, or Paul doesn't say that. It is hard for you to kick against the goads when he shares with the Jewish people in Acts 22 because this is a clue into, um, into the fact that Paul knows who, he, knows who he's talking to. He is connecting with his audience in a way that we look at that and go, okay, what? Doesn't mean anything to us. But to all the people in that courtroom that day, they would have understood this and they would have said, oh, Maybe we should listen to Paul. He can speak to us. So this, this, um, this sentence, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. That was from, that's a quote from a Greek proverb that highly educated people who made up that courtroom uh, would have understood. They would have studied that. They would have heard that. They would have then instantly connected with Paul and said, oh, you're speaking my language, Paul. And that's uh, a lesson I think we should learn too. How can we share what Christ has done for us in a way that can connect to the people we're talking to? It's important. It's important to understand what people, uh, who we're talking to and how we're talking to them because that helps. <laughs> that helps the message. The, the gospel can change a life in any situation. You know, it, it's not, if God intends to save someone, they're going to be saved. It doesn't matter how you say it. But on another sense, it kind of does matter how we say it. Didn't Jesus say, let's speak the truth in love? Speak the hard truth when it's time, but do it in a way that is going to be, um, that is going to be helpful and not harmful. Another thing he says later on, a few verses down um, in, in, in that same passage is, uh, So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. Again, this is something that isn't in every other account. This is something specific uh, Paul says to the people around him. And he is trying, he is, he's basically answering the question of why, why, why are you doing this, Paul? Why are we even having this trial right now? And Paul is saying, because Jesus has made me a minister and a witness and it's something I cannot not speak about. I can't remain silent about this. So I have to go and I have to share the gospel. And he, says, uh, and he says that Jesus specifically commissioned him to go to the Gentiles. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. 
So the whole reason I'm coming to these other cities and I'm getting away from just preaching to the Jews, King Agrippa, is because Jesus Christ has personally commissioned me to do this. So I must serve the Lord in this way. So you see what, what he's doing. He's not just sharing his story just to share, but he's also answering questions of why he is uh, doing the things he's doing, why he's living the way he's living. It's not just to be different. It's not just to start a revolution. It's not just to make trouble for the Romans. It's not just because Paul likes to hear himself talk. He is doing it to honor the Lord in his life. Now, if we remember what he was like before, then we realize that there must have been a profound change in Paul's life, and that is hard to argue with. That is hard to ignore, and that is hard um, that's hard to ignore. That's hard to, to argue with. So that's the second thing. Share in a way that is helpful for your audience. And don't forget to keep it focused on Christ. Whatever we share, whatever, however we spread this gospel, however we talk about our faith, it must be focused on honoring Christ and not become about ourselves. And then the third thing is found in verses 19 through 30. And this is pretty simple but it's basically the idea of share how you are different now. You shared how you were, what you were like before you met Christ. You're sharing it in a way that connects with people and helps them understand what you're saying. And now the most important part is, how are you different now? What does it mean for your life now? So he says this in verse 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I did what Jesus said, but I declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, I mean, first of all, this doesn't sound so bad, right? <laughs> right. For those reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. I'm not out to cause chaos. I'm not trying to overthrow the Roman government. I'm simply preaching that uh, we need to repent, turn from our sins, and turn to God. And it's for those reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So in his brilliant way of sharing his story, Paul is making clear that um, the only reason he is the way he is before Agrippa that day in that court, the only reason that these things are happening is because there was a profound miracle done in his life where he went from an enemy of God to a child of God, and now he can't help but share those things. He can't help but want um, everyone else around him to experience that profound miracle in his life. And I love how he, see, he doesn't, he, it, this isn't like he spends a whole, he spends books exploring the gospel. Romans is all about the gospel. It's the study of the gospel. And it's uh, 12 chapters, uh, 13 chapters, tons of detail, tons of reasoning, um, all this just incredible information about the gospel. He spends an entire book that you can spend a lifetime studying. But in these few moments he has with King Agrippa, and, and in front of this court, in front of a bunch of people, he shares 
this small personal story and this um, massively impactful experience with Christ, and he thinks that this is what they need to hear. They need to hear, they need to see how experiencing Christ makes a difference in your life, how it changes you from an enemy to a child of God. And he still works in the gospel message in the whole thing. He doesn't just say, look, I was different, I met Jesus, now, or I, I, was, I was this way before, I met Jesus, and now I'm different, and I do things better now. No, he doesn't just say that. He, uh, he makes mention of the resurrection. He talks about what Jesus did. He says these things that are essentially the gospel. And that's what we have to do. When we share our story, again, we can't get wrapped up in our own details and the details about our lives. We have to make sure we bring it back to the gospel message because that is the only thing that changed Paul's life. It wasn't the bright light, it wasn't the scales falling from his eyes and the blindness, and it wasn't all that. It was the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the work on the cross and the work in the resurrection. So, now, in this cinematic moment, right, if it's a good movie, then the light's shining on Paul when he's saying this, and the music's swelling and everything, and the drums are going, right? And, and you're feeling really, really good about what just happened. And everybody stands up in that courtroom and says, we believe in Jesus. But look what happens. In verse 24, now thus as he made his defense, Festus said, this is another, this is a Roman leader there. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning has dri- is driving you mad. He's like, you're insane, Paul. What are you talking about? Paul says, I'm not mad, uh, but I speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before me, whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escape his attentions, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Right? He's talking to Agrippa specifically in this time. And, and so he has this triumphant moment where he just, he just shares his story with the gospel. And all the angels are singing and it sounds great. This one guy stands up. Festus, and he tries to throw a wrench in things, and then Paul says, no way. King Agrippa knows that what I'm saying is true. And look, this is how Agrippa responds. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. I mean, that's like the deflating balloon sound that happens right there. Like, rejected. This story doesn't end happily. Here, I don't know if Agrippa ever became a Christian, but he's not becoming one here. He will not he, he will argue with Paul's changed life. He will critique it. He will be a skeptic. Well, that's pretty deflating, isn't it? Have you ever experienced that when you try to share with somebody, or maybe you have shared, and they still just reject the name of Jesus? So what's interesting about this, I think, is uh, turn to 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy, uh, when Paul's writing to Timothy, he is under house arrest. He knows that his time on this earth is coming to a close. He's waiting to go before Caesar. Um, and he's kind of giving Timothy, as a young pastor, in a, in a really difficult situation, in a very godless culture, he's trying to give him some help and some things to think about as, he continue, as Timothy continues his ministry. So listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Starting in verse, no, we'll start in verse six. Uh, This is what he says. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. And I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. 
I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What does it take for Paul, who experienced a massive rejection with King Agrippa, and if you read through the Acts and through his story, you'll see he experienced rejection after rejection after rejection many times. It was, there was a lot of good, happy endings to his, uh, his encounters with people, and there was a lot of uh, unhappy endings. And people didn't always walk away from Paul saying, I want to follow Jesus. That can be discouraging. And if that can happen to Paul, that can certainly happen to us. But Paul, at the end of his life, writes to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul's hopeful. How can Paul be hopeful when even one person walked away from from an encounter with him not believing in Jesus Christ? Well, let me tell you how. Because it's not Paul's job to save anybody. It's not Paul's job to save the Gentiles. It's not Paul's job to save the Jews. And it's not our job to do the same thing. It is our job, just like it was Paul's job, to simply proclaim the truth. To know the truth, let the truth set us free, and to share that. It's up to God to handle the rest. I don't know if King Agrippa ever became a Christian or Festus or anybody else in that room. But they can never stand before the Lord and say, we did not hear about Jesus Christ and we did not have the opportunity to experience the miracle of regeneration from him. Because Paul at least, and maybe others did this too in their lives, but Paul at least stood before them and said, look at what God has done for me. He can do the same thing for you, and I hope that you will accept that. That's how Paul can say that, because in the end, the pressure is not on you or I to change anybody's heart. It's up to the work of the Lord, and and you and I know that God won't be stopped, right? If King Agrippa was supposed to ever come to know the Lord, he was going to come to know the Lord, because God will save those who he will save. And maybe Paul wasn't going to be the guy who finalized that, but Paul was the guy who definitely planted a seed. So you see how important it is why God would even ask us to do this, because we don't know where people are who we're talking to. We don't know if they're just about to make that decision or if they're just now getting the hard soil of their heart wet so that they can receive the seeds of truth. We don't know. So we have to be willing to share, and then we have to trust that whatever happens in that moment... We have to trust that God is in control and God will do what God will do. And we can take encouragement and comfort and hope in the fact that if we've done what we're supposed to do, God is pleased with us. Then you can say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. I did the things that God wanted me to do. I was a faithful servant. And who doesn't want to stand before the Lord on the final day and him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. We all have a story. We all have an experience with Christ, an encounter. And Jesus, when he says go and make disciples, he's not saying go and and make sure you have all the arguments um, learned and and memorized and you have all the answers to everybody's skeptical questions. He, He wants you to find those out for sure. But he's not saying rely on all that. He's saying rely on me. What have I done for you? How have I changed your life? What's the miracle I performed in your heart? Share that with someone, because it's hard to argue against a changed life. It is hard to argue against a miracle 
from uh, a miracle of taking someone, something dead and making it alive. I mean, that might be the greatest proof, the greatest thing we could ever share with anybody was what Jesus did for us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your miraculous work in our lives. I thank you that you freely give Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that we would, we would consider that, that we would think about our own experience with you, Father, that we would be ready to share. How can we share it, Lord? Give us, give us opportunities to share what you did in our lives with people who need to know the truth. Father, I also pray that you give us boldness to do it. It's not easy to share something like that. But Father, I pray that you would strengthen your church to be ready. Help us to always be ready for the defense, be ready with a defense for the hope that is in us, Father. Help us to be ready and willing to help make disciples in this world. Father, I thank you that you promised you'd never leave us, that you'd be here with us the whole time. I pray we could uh, rely on you when we are spreading the truth, when we are sharing the gospel with other people, Lord. We thank you and we love you. In the name of Jesus, amen. When we come to Christ, we need to shed all of our, uh, all of our accomplishments, all of our uh, personal feelings about how good we are, everything. And we need to just come to him just as we are. I've never heard of Billy Graham um, um, service not end with this song. Let's all sing together, just as I am. And if you need to come to Christ, will you do it? Will you do it as we sing? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we, as we focus on our nation today and the fact that we have a, a, a field right to harvest, Lord, help us to see that the mission that you have given us as a church is to share the gospel. Lord, this song is a prayer, a prayer that all of us need to pray from coast to coast, that all of us need to acknowledge you're the lamb who suffered and died. And the Lord, as we come to you, we come just as we are, seeking forgiveness and life through the blood. The payment of sin, the payment of the penalty that we deserve, the penalty of death. Lord, may we convey this to our friends, our neighbors, our families. And we pray in your precious name that as we come back next week to honor you and to serve you and to worship you, we can rejoice. We can rejoice knowing that seeds have been planted as we prepared conversations, if we have planned for conversations to discuss you, your word, the 
plan of salvation with those who need to hear it. Jesus, your name we pray these things. Amen.